Hello everybody and welcome to this edition of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast as I take a deep breath for absolutely no reason. So it's good to be with you all again today. I do plan to breathe more than once during this hour, but it's still good to be with you all. And uh, yesterday I did the thing on the Declaration of Independence and it was the first podcast that I had done in a while. But it seemed like it was an appropriate time to do that, not only because it's America's birthday, but because of everything that's been going on in our country. I saw Daniel Horowitz say something on Facebook. There was a headline to something he wrote that I didn't get a chance to read yet. But I like the headline. Basically, to sum it up, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, we no longer, we can no longer celebrate our independence because we have to fight for it again. And so that's part of the reason why I took the time to read the Declaration of Independence yesterday, because a lot of us might look around at what's going on and go, well, what can one person do? What can we do? Well, as uh, Steve Dace likes to say on his show, it starts just by saying no. And, uh, you know, if something's going on that you don't agree with and you come, you know, come, just say no. <laughs> Go the Nancy Reagan route. Just say no. Uh, you can't do. Uh, you can't gather more than ten people. No. Uh, if you live in California and the governor says you can't sing in church, no. Uh, you just say no. <laughs> We're not doing that. I don't care. And uh, I realize that to do that, you're you know you might risk uh, like Shelley Luther did in Texas when she went ahead and opened her salon. She has a family, she has a husband, she has children, and she was putting herself at risk and being separated from her family and, you know, putting her business at risk, everything else, to be willing to say no, but she did, and when she did, her state, or at least the governor of her state, came to her defense. But even if he didn't, it would still be the right thing to do. So how many of us are going to be willing to do that? To stand for the right thing, even though it might cost us something. So again, that was the whole explanation behind yesterday's podcast. Today, I plan on finally getting back to some of our Genesis study. We'll see how much we can get into the hour, or how much of that we can fit into this hour. Um, the last couple of podcasts I did prior to the Declaration of Independence one... I've really gotten to where I enjoy reading these old guidepost uh, articles written by different people. I read one um, written by Corey Tinboom on forgiveness, and then the next time I read one from uh, um, Paul Harvey on submission to God. And I found another one that I really like when I was looking at those two. This is Walter Cronkite on honesty. Now, for those of you who don't know, Walter Cronkite was the mainstay on CBS News for decades. He was the voice of the news, if you will, for a very long time. Uh, Another one of those people that if you're familiar with his voice, whenever you heard it, you would recognize it anywhere. I've said that about uh, an interview between Paul Harvey and Billy Graham. This is another one where... Once you hear his voice, if you're familiar with it, you know it. Because he's just that he's that recognizable, especially from his generation. But for those of us who like to learn history and who are uh, 
like to know more about things than just from the, you know, um, I mean, I couldn't say the time before I was alive because he, he was around, he was still doing CBS news when I was really, really little. Um, by the time I was old enough to know anything, Dan Rather had taken over CBS news. Um, but I remember I've seen videos of Walter Cronkite on YouTube since, and I remember that he once narrated Spaceship Earth at Epcot um, when I was a kid, and I used to be afraid of that ride, but that's another story. Um, but uh, my worst experience on that ride that still gives me nightmares to this day sometimes, he, w he was narrating it. But in spite of that, I'm a big fan of Walter Cronkite. And uh, so I wanted to take some time to read this particular guidepost thing that he did from July 1970 on honesty. This is Walter Cronkite. Once, when I was a boy, I saw a dollar Ingersoll watch in the showcase of our local drugstore. I wanted that watch very much, but I didn't have the dollar. So I asked the druggist if I could take it and then pay for it as I earned the money. He agreed. The next day, my mother happened to come into the store, and the druggist casually mentioned the arrangement we had made. Well, my parents would have none of it. To them, what I had done was the next thing to dishonesty. Don't you see, my mother said to me, you already consider that watch yours, but you haven't paid for it. That's deception. If you have to use the slightest bit of dishonesty to get what you want, you're paying too high a price. She paid the druggist the dollar, took the watch from me, and kept it until I earned the money to retrieve it. That lesson has stuck with me. Today, I have almost a compulsive desire to be honest. Not because I think it makes me any better than the next man, but because I feel so strongly about the need for honesty in our national life. If we want to see straight dealing in our country, the place to begin is with ourselves. Let me read that part again. If we want to see straight dealing in our country, the place to begin is with ourselves. Sometimes there's no problem in knowing the honest thing to do. Some speculators once offered me a large parcel of land. There was no suggestion that I talk about their property on the air. They just wanted to be able to say that I owned land in the, in the area they were trying to promote. They weren't able to say it. Another time, a group of uranium stock promoters were ready to give me a large sum of money if I would broadcast their find in Colorado. They're still waiting. Some years ago, a highly placed man in Washington suggested to newsmen that a little management of the news, now and then, would be in the national interest. The man who made the suggestion was a friend of mine. But I felt so strongly against the idea of manipulating news that I spoke out against it publicly. Our friendship was strained. That was painful, but it would have been more painful to have allowed such an idea to go unchallenged. Then there is the situation 
which every newsman faces, known as attribution. A man will look you in the eye and say, Please attribute what I'm telling you to informed sources, not to me. When the CIA first decided to reveal its role in the Green Beret case involving the death of an alleged Vietnamese double agent, it requested newsmen to attribute its version of the story to, quote, informed sources. We couldn't do that at CBS News. We reported the story the way it was. A new version of the Green Beret case, reflecting the views of the CIA, has begun to circulate here. Again, such honesty made a number of people unhappy. But I felt we had no choice. Is there, in fact, any ideal today that demands more commitment in public, business, and private life than St. Paul's injunction, put away falsehood, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, Ephesians 4.25. I call it an ideal rather than a rule, for the more I struggle with questions of honesty, the more I learn how complicated the subject is. I also know that each man has to come to his own understanding of how to put away falsehood. The Democratic National Convention of 1968 was a complex experience of honesty. We knew at the time that we could not possibly report every man's understanding of the events taking place in Chicago. Because we could not present the whole truth, pressure was put on us not to report some of the actual events themselves. Demonstrations and brutalities, we were told, were dangerous facts, too confusing for the average citizen to understand. We just could not agree to those arguments. Give people the light and they will find the way, said one of our great American journalists, E.W. Scripps. I agree. To me, honesty and light are synonymous. We went ahead, even in the face of criticism, and reported what we, what we did see as completely as we knew how. And because I believe that honesty and light are the same thing, I also believe that a genuine religious life must submit to this standard. Before every prayer I utter, I ask myself, is this honest? In 1951, when I had been with CBS for only a year, I was given my first big TV assignment, covering the return of General Douglas MacArthur from Korea. We were on the air with cameras grinding when we learned that the General's plane would be delayed in coming down. I realized right then that I hadn't done enough speed work. In the pit of my stomach was the awful fear that I would run out of words and that this broadcast would be embarrassing, perhaps even disastrous, in the end of my career. Could I ask God to help me here when I had not done my homework? Not by the standards of the Ingersoll watch. I could pray that I never make this mistake again, but that was different from asking him to bail me out now. MacArthur's plane was delayed 15 minutes, which seemed like as many years. During that time, I recited all of his biography I could remember, and Ad lived wildly to fill the gap. It was not my best broadcast, 
but to my way of thinking, it would have been a worse loss if I had let panic make me try to cut some corners with God. At other times, prayer is the honest thing, the only honest thing to do. For instance, when my daughter Nancy came down with a mysterious high fever and lapsed into a semi-coma, I prayed hard. Or earlier, when Nancy was an infant and my wife Betsy was flying in from Kansas City with her, I went to a rainy, fog-shrouded airport to meet them. I squeezed through the crowd to the airline counter and inquired if the plane from Kansas City was on time. The man looked at me very concerned. Sir, he said, I'm afraid we've lost contact with that plane. A woman screamed, another fainted, and I prayed as I never had before. Then I rushed to find a phone to see if I could find out anything about the missing plane and bumped into Betsy herself. Contact with the plane had been lost simply because it had landed early. I am not suggesting that prayers that my prayers here brought about the story's happy ending, but I do suggest that this was an honest time to ask for God's help. This is an era when we when we need honesty in every phase of living as never before, because never before in history have we been so ir- irrevocably members of one members one of another. And while our efforts to be honest can be perplexing, even cost us friendships and material gain, I believe there is a greater compensation, the awareness of being true to something and someone bigger than we are. That was Walter Cronkite on honesty, and I absolutely agree with this. In fact, I dare say that this that post is more true even now than it was 50 years ago when he wrote it. How many times I've heard people in recent days and weeks and months say, I don't even know what to believe anymore. You read one thing about something and then you read another source and it says something completely different or it contradicts something and it sounds just as knowledgeable as the previous uh, you know as the other one did and both of them sound so sure I mean what do you believe and who do you believe that's why honesty is so important that's why maintaining your own credibility is so important and that's why you need to do your own research and don't just take somebody's word for something. Don't don't take my word for something. Take you know, go find the information. Go to original sources as often as possible. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're studying. If you're studying theology, go to God's word. Um that's not to say don't ever pay attention to anything else, but verify. Don't, it doesn't mean don't ever read anything else. It doesn't mean don't ever read somebody's commentary on the news or on uh, the Bible or on whatever. But verify what they're saying. Don't just take their word for it. Uh, you can learn a lot from people. You can learn a lot from their study. I hope you learn a lot from me. Otherwise, I'm doing this for nothing. But don't just say, well, Steve said it, so it must be true. I know this is hard to believe, but I have been wrong before. It does ha- it's happened once or twice. <laughs> but um, 
you know, don't just take somebody's word for something. Do your own digging. If you'll excuse me for a moment, I need to wash off my glasses. And normally I would pause here, but I'm gonna just kind of let I'm gonna let this play for a second. So just hang on. There we go. I had to wash my glasses. I had some stuff on them. And I could still read and see, but I noticed when I was reading that article that um, I had some... I had, Well, I could see and I could read, but I could, I could tell that I was looking through some dirty glasses. So... Uh, fingerprints and probably a food crumb here and there or whatever so anyway now I got them washed off and I can see clearly now the smudges are gone I can see all obstacles in my way as I run into them because I'm clumsy Alright, so anyway, I'm rolling back over to my computer now, and again, normal, normally I would have paused for something like this, but I'm just kind of in the mood to let it go today, and in the words of Elsa, let it go, and then we'll uh, just see what happens with this. So I hope you guys don't mind. If you did, then too bad, because I did it anyhow, so... Alright, I'm going to grab my Genesis notes here, and we're going to do uh, some Bible study today. Now, I found some old notes that I thought I had lost or thrown away by accident from the Genesis study, and so I skipped a day the last time we did the Genesis study, because I thought we had, like I said, I thought I had lost it, but... Turns out that I hadn't lost it. Well, I might have lost it, but not. I haven't lost these. But in other senses, yeah, I probably lost it a long time ago. So, let me get myself kind of situated here for the moment. And do 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 do. There we go. I think we did the, um, let's see, does the, does the clothing of Adam and Eve have anything to do with respect to sin? Okay, we haven't done that yet. Um, sorry, I, I thought I had all of this together when I started recording, and I think my pages got messed up. Probably due to these little four-legged furry creatures that I have running around here. Right, Galaxy? Hi, Kitty. I'm pretty sure you had something to do with this. I'm messing me up here. I'm sure you didn't do it on purpose, though, because you're a good kitty. So, alright, here we go. I think we're, we're going to get started here now. I think I know where we're at. Okay. So... In our Genesis study, we were in Genesis 3, and 
So this question in our precept study says, read the following passages, all relating to the same incident, but each giving different insights. Then compare these. Oh, no, we. this was the... Uh, yeah, this was when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. We did go through this. Um, okay, so we just did that, and we were going to be on day four here. Okay. Temptation is a reality. Sin is a choice. The secret is to learn when God's word tells us with respect to temptation and sin, or to learn what, God, what God's word tells us in respect to temptation and sin, so we won't yield to temptation. Look up the following verses and note what you learn from each that can help you. You may want to write the verse or the key portion of the verse so you can keep it before you. So the first one we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and then Hebrews 2.18. So let's go to... Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and 2, 18. And right now I'm reading from the New International Version, or the NIV. So it says here, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what do we learn from here? What we get from this is we don't have to be afraid to approach Jesus when we're tempted. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to go, oh, man, I'm just so disgusted with myself that I'm even tempted with this. God, oh, man, I don't even want to talk to him because he's got to be so, so ashamed of me. But that's not true. According to Hebrews here, we have a high priest who is Jesus that was tempted in every way, just like we are. He experienced every form of temptation that we face. But he didn't sin. So we learn from that that temptation, again, is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to the temptation, but it's not a sin to be tempted. So we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What is grace? It's not just it's not a license to sin, and anybody who makes you feel like it is is lying to you, deceiving you, or just deceive themselves. Grace is God's unmerited favor, and it is his empowerment. And we can't overcome sin on our own. We can't do like Genesis 4 says. And when it says sin is crouching at the door, it says we must master it. But with God's grace in our lives, which is his empowerment for us to overcome sin, with his empowerment, we can overcome sin. 
I do not believe, as I've heard said so often, and this is a tradition in the church, that you sin every day. Or, let me rephrase that. I don't believe that it's a requirement because of our sinful nature that we have to sin every day, that we just can't help ourselves, that it's just so easy to sin that we just can't help it and we're like pigs to slop and we're just going to sin every day no matter how hard we try. But as long as your heart doesn't want to, then that's what matters. I don't believe that. I think that that it's not, I mean, now I'm not speaking of my own performance here. I, I do believe that I probably sin every day. But I don't believe that I have to. And I don't believe that everybody does. I, do, I believe that most people do because I, I genuinely question how many Americans are actually believers. I think, you know, there's like probably three-fourths of the country that still saw, call themselves Christians and if the rapture happened right now, to be honest with you, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if only one out of ten Americans went with us. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I mean that. Based off of studies that have been done by the Barna Group um, on on people who have a biblical worldview, and studies that have been done of people who are self-professed evangelical Christians, who, when asked about certain behaviors, are and when honest about it, uh, there's statistically no difference between them and the lost world. Um, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if um, we, America's going to lose a lot of people in the rapture. But I don't think we're going to lose as many as is often portrayed in fictional accounts or in sermons by pastors who talk about the immediate after effects of the rapture on this country. And I think there's going to be some parts of the world where a lot more of the population will be gone because in like areas of the world where they experience real persecution, and I'm not talking about the persecution where uh, so-and-so stole my parking place at church and sat in my favorite pew and I'm not happy and I feel persecuted or so-and-so said something nasty about me on Facebook and man, I'm I'm just per I've been persecuted today, Lord, because they said something mean about me, or they posted a meme I didn't like. So, oh my gosh, I've been persecuted. Well, you know, you don't have to. I mean, I'm the king of disagreeing with something that I don't like and not being afraid to say so. But I don't think it's persecution, or that I've been harmed in some way to read something that I'm not comfortable with. Uh, you know, and I don't. That's a little too thin-skinned for me. But the point here is, is that we can approach God's grace, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. His throne of grace is the empowerment to overcome sin. He empowers us to live the way He wants us to live. And we can find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, we can depend on Him. We can depend on His grace and the Holy Spirit to help us when we come to Him boldly with confidence. But you can't expect that grace and you can't expect that mercy and you can't expect that empowerment to overcome sin if you're going to allow shame and guilt to keep you 
from God's throne of grace. I mean, Adam and Eve did that, and that's who we've been studying here, and look where it got them. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, this is a reiteration of what we just talked about. Jesus can help us when we're being tempted because he's been, he's been there. He can empathize with us. He doesn't just say, oh, I sympathize with you. It's got to be tough. He knows how tough it is. Because he's been there. He's been where we are. That's why he is the per perfect advocate for us before the Father. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. And this is when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked the disciples to stay awake with him and pray as he was about to enter this hour of trial where he would experience the horrible beatings that he did, if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ and the, um, the crucifixion and where all of the sins of all time were laid upon him so that he could purchase the pardon for all of them, no matter how bad they were. And he knows what's awaiting him. And he's, understandably, he, I mean, he even prays at one point, he says, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. He doesn't want to go through this. You see, a very human moment with Jesus there. But then he says, of course, not my will, Father, but yours be done. So as he's praying, he goes to the disciples who are very sleepy and tired, you know, and they're, they're, they're dozing off, you know, he, they're having a hard time. He's asking them to agree in prayer with him because there's power in that and, he, and they're over here napping. And so Jesus says to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm going to read that. I just read that in the New International Version, the NIV. Now I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. This is very similar, I guess. It says, For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And that's, I mean, what we can get from that is, the necessity of watching and praying. So I recently did some things where I've talked about how, you know, the importance of prayer and how a lot of times we look at prayer as a last resort after we've done all we can do. And then somebody said, well, I guess all I can do is pray. Like I said, that's all we have left is just to pray. We can't do anything else anymore. Well, that, in so many ways, shows a lack of faith in prayer. That that is the last thing. That's the last resort. That's the th that's the only thing you've got left. Oh, all we can do is pray. Darn it, man! 
I've tried everything I can. Now I guess I just gotta pray. Hmph. No. Um, there was an article that I shared uh, recently. I wish I could... I posted it on Facebook, and I wish I could remember where it came from. It was it was from CBN, but it was from somebody that wrote it a long time ago. CBN reposted it. But it was basically about the requirement of prayer and how God has basically put himself under the law of prayer. God is all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do within himself based on his own power. I mean, he has all power in heaven and earth. He's got all the power in the universe. But he binds himself to prayer because he's made us, you know, the, the managers, if you will, of, uh, of this planet. And we have authority on this planet because Jesus said before he went, before he rose to heaven, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This was after what he did on the cross. He rose from the dead. He basically said, look, I've won the victory here, okay? So I've got all the authority. So now, because I have that authority, you can go throughout the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. I have all the authority now. I'm in charge, Jesus basically said. In other words, there's a new sheriff in town here. Okay? I I'm the man now. <laughs> Taylor Swift, uh, not the man. Becky Lynch isn't the man. Jesus is the man. Ric Flair is not the man. Jesus is the man. And Jesus says, I've got all the power in heaven, in heaven and earth. So now, you can do all of this in my name. Because I'm the boss. Okay? I'm the one that's going to get all this accomplished. You just, you, you walk in the power of my name. It's not like somebody who... Uh, who acts on behalf of the President of the United States. Now, in and of themselves, a private citizen, you know, they might not have a lot of authority or power to get something accomplished. But if the White House sends you, uh, you know, now, now you got some, now you got some backup. <laughs> or, you know, I saw a sheriff recently Basically, uh, he's down in Florida. He's the he's the sheriff of, of uh, Clay County in Florida, and he said, "You know, if we get we start getting rioters here in this county. I'm not uh, I'm not afraid to deputize every lawful gun owner in my county, and uh, we're basically if if we need to, we're going to give them the authority to." To act as law enforcement here and keep law in order to keep the peace and get the job done. Uh, and, you know, in and of themselves, those citizens, you know, they might feel like, well, gosh, what can we do? But now they got the authority of the sheriff backing them up. Now they know they got somebody that's got their back, even though the ultimate authority in America rests with the individual citizen and not with our our public servants that we've elected. Still, it gives kind of like that extra boost of confidence, that extra layer of confidence to know that those who have been elected and given positions of authority recognize the power that God has given us and the power that the Constitution gives us.
we the people. So, you know, there, there's really, when you, when you have that authority behind you, it gives you that boldness and confidence that it talks about in Hebrews. So Jesus says here, watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. So we need to pray, and we pray in the name of Jesus, because that's where that authority comes from. And remember the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, you know, praying to the Father, it says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hold on, i got to take a drink of my cheer wine here. Mmm. Mmm. You know, I never really bought into this whole thing about soft drinks tasting better in glass bottles. I always thought, you know, what difference does it make what container it comes in? It's a drink. But I just recently got a twenty a case of 24 uh, bottles of Cheerwine in glass bottles. And I gotta say, I've had this soft drink a lot during my life, but this is good. Mm. Especially because I just got it out of the fridge. And so when you take the lid off, it's kind of got that, that cold, you know, when you look down into it and you just see all that, where, where it's been real, gotten really cold and everything. Mm. Kind of that frosty, it's kind of got that frosty look when you look down into the bottle. After it's been in the fridge, and man, is that good. That first couple of sips, man, that, that's some good stuff. I'm glad I got this. As much as I can, I think I want to get soft drinks and bottles more often because in these glass bottles, because this is just really good stuff. So let me see if I can get my lid back on here now. If I do struggle with this in any degree, it's that I have trouble getting the lid back, the, the bottle lid back on the top of it after I've opened it. That's I struggle with that just a little bit. But, it's okay. There we go. That's good enough for now. All right. So Jesus says, keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So if we watch and pray, it can help us to, it can help us not give in to temptation. When we're tempted, we pray, and it will, you can give us power to help us resist temptation. For the spirit is willing. So when we pray, we are acting in the spirit. But the body or the flesh is weak. So when we don't pray and when we're trying to resist temptation in our own strength, we're starting from a position of weakness. So when you're praying, you're praying from a position of strength. Because it's not your strength. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you that's aiding you, that's helping you. But when you're not, 
when when you're not praying, now the body is weak. Now the flesh is was weak. Now you're trying to do it in your own strength, and you're going to fail. So that's what we have for that. Well, now we're going to go to First Corinthians chapter ten, verses twelve and thirteen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And again, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. As the fireworks are still going off outside. It's not July 5th or July 4th anymore. It's July 5th now, but we're still got fireworks going out here. I guess this is Independence Weekend and not just Independence Day. But what can I say? A lot, apparently, because I'm still talking. But let me see how long, how we're doing on time here. Holy cow, we're already at the 41 minute mark. Why do I even, why do I say that? Why do people say holy cow? I've never seen a holy cow. Have you? I mean, I've had some really good hamburgers. I guess we could call them holy cows because that was one good sacrifice that some of those cows have made. But, uh, but anyway... I didn't realize we were already 41 minutes into this. So, uh, let's move along here, and we'll try to at least get caught up to where we ended the last time we did our Genesis study. That way we can pick up where we were supposed to have left off last time. First uh, Corinthians 10, 12-13, it says, reading from the New Living Translation, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So said another way, the moment you think you've got it all together, that's when you're the most vulnerable. The moment you get a lot of, oh, I've got this all figured out, man. I, I, I've got this. So pat yourself on the back and, uh, and watch out. And the passage continues. Excuse me. The passage continues, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, God will always give us a way out. When we're tempted by something, don't ever, you know, don't don't use the Flip Wilson, Flip Wilson theology and say, the devil made me do it. But then don't blame God either and say, well, God made me this way, or, or I guess I could say the Lady Gaga theology, I was born this way. No. God gives you a way out for everything you're tempted by. But it's up to you to resist that temptation. Or not. But if you choose not to, don't blame anybody else. Take ownership of it. If you're going to do it, if you're going to do something, take ownership of it. Good or bad or indifferent. I mean, take if you if you're going to be something, be it. And say it and, and own it, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say.
But we don't have to succumb to temptation just because we have a sinful nature. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't truly surrendered to Christ, then you are a slave to sin. The Bible says that. It causes slaves to sin. But I would rather be a slave to righteousness. Now, does that mean everything I do is righteous? Oh, no. Especially when we get into my sense of humor. My sense of humor is not very sanctified. Okay? I... <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. But, that's not because I'm just weak and I can't help it because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, it's because I make choices that don't always line up with God's word. I also, when I get angry, sometimes I can say and do some things that I later regret and genuinely do feel bad about it and that I recognize are wrong. Is that because I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I can't help myself? Am I just a forgiven sinner? No. I, if I'm truly a believer, then I have the Holy Spirit inside of me that empowers me to not live that way. So if I'm doing it, then I'm choosing over that. I'm making a legitimate, am I still tempted? Yes, but I'm making a choice of the will to sin. Whereas before, before I was a believer, I was a slave to sin because I was dead spiritually. I was a dead man rolling, not a dead man walking because of my wheelchair. I was a dead man rolling or dead man crawling when I'm not in my chair and I'm crawling on the floor. But point is, I was dead. I was physically alive, but in all other senses, I'm dead. So when I sin now, as a believer, and I'm a new creation in Christ, I'm a new creature in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, now I'm choosing to... What's the word? I'm choosing to forego the assistance and the help of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about here. And I'm choosing intentionally, which is worse, to go against what I know to be true. And the Bible says, to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it is sin. So, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, getting back to this in the New Living Translation. Holy, what the heck is that? That was loud. Holy cow, that was another holy cow moment, even though I've still never seen a holy cow. That was loud enough, it even startled the cats and got some dogs barking outside. I don't know what that loud noise was. But man, that was bad, huh? There was some fireworks going outside, but I don't think that was fireworks. I don't really know what that was, but oh, wow. Um, I'm not even sure I want to go out and look. <laughs> um, as long as it doesn't bother me, I guess it's not my business. I don't know. But uh, that was loud enough to shake some things around here. But anyway... I almost had a flesh moment there. I started as so holy cow, but I almost said holy something else. It's okay, Gabby. 
It's okay. I'm sorry about the loud noise, Kitty. What? What's wrong? It's okay. It's okay. Alright? Alright. Let's try this again. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So we don't have to give in to, to temptation. When we're in, before we were save, saved, we were slaves to sin. But now we're called to be slaves to righteousness. You're going to serve something. Everybody does. Whether they know it or not. Do you want to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? Being a slave to sin can take many forms. And manifests itself in many different ways and formats and beings. But there's only one narrow road that leads to life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. All right. Um, so now we're going to, how are we doing on time now? Now we're at 49 minutes, almost 50. Okay, so now we're going to go to Psalm 119 and verse 11. recognize that verse I don't remember it the wording off the top of my head but it sounds very familiar there we go I knew I I knew I knew this reference Psalm 119:11 I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you so what's another way we can overcome sin and overcome temptation by hiding the word of God in your heart by hiding the bible in your heart how do you do that by memorizing it. Okay, you don't just... I mean, it's great. I, I try to carry a Bible with me all the time. If I don't, care, if I don't have it on my phone, I've got a, a print Bible that I carry with me. Before I had a smartphone, believe it or not, I just got my first smartphone in, at the end of 2018. Very behind, I know. But before that, I carried a print version of the Bible with me almost everywhere I went. Now, um, now I've got it on my phone. I've even got a version downloaded so that I can read it offline if I want to. But... As good as that is, as good as that chew wine is, mm, yeah. But anyway, as good as that is, it's important to know the Bible so well that you've actually got it hidden in your heart so that you might not sin against God. And 
That's one of the biggest problems with Bible illiteracy really everywhere, but especially in the Western church in here in America. We have more access to the Bible than any generation in any group of people in history. I read a statistic. Let me see if I can find this. How many Bibles does the average American own? Okay, the average American owns 4.4 Bibles. So, uh, nobody owns half a Bible, but they're, they're just dividing the number of Bibles by the population. So, the average American household has four Bibles in it. We have more access to the Bible now than any time in history. And yet, how many of us read it every day? How many of us really know it? Um, I was talking to someone recently who, I mean, who I thought was, I mean, maybe not the most knowledgeable person, but definitely, well, this is a, a very personal story, so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to rib on the person because I don't want to, I don't want to rip on the person because um, they might actually end up hearing this, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings personally by dragging that out into a public setting. So I, I won't say that. Uh, what I was going to say, but the point is, is that we can claim to be Christians all we want. But are we people of the book? Is the word hidden in your heart? How biblically literate are you? Are you as quick to pick up the Bible and read it as you are to read somebody's devotional? Are you as quick to pick up the Bible and read it as you are to listen to your favorite worship band? Are you as quick to pick up the Bible and read it as you are to scroll through your Facebook page or your Twitter page. I spend a lot of time on both, but not to the neglect of God's Word anymore. Are you as quick to pick up the Bible as you are the TV remote? Are you as quick to pick up the Bible as you are to click on the porn site? Oh, my phone is being kind enough now to let me know. With some rather annoying beeping that just keeps going. That I have less than five minutes left on this podcast. But my point is, is that... One of the reasons we're so weak spiritually... Um, corporately speaking, of course, there's some very individually strong believers. But the reason why the church as a whole 
especially in certain parts of the world, is weak is because we don't have the word hidden in our hearts. That doesn't mean you have to know the address, as another friend of mine likes to say, to every verse. <laughs> you don't have to know the references, but do you, do you know the word? You, I mean, it's helpful to know the references, that's why they're there. But more importantly than that, do you know the word? Do you know what it says? Because that makes all the difference. So I've got less than four minutes here. Let's, holy cow, okay, now I know what that was. That loud noise before that actually was thunder. That was because I just saw some really bright lightning out the window. So that's definitely what that was. Galatians 5.16, as I'm running low on time and might be running low on power, Lord, please help us to keep the power on. Because I don't really want to sit here in the dark. Because that would that would be a pain in the buttocks, as Forrest Gump would say. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So that gets back to that whole thing about spiritual breathing. That I wrote about on a blog post recently. Uh, so it's a thing that uh, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, talked about this idea of spiritual breathing. When you sin, you in you um, exhale that sin and that that whatever that was, and then you inhale, you breathe in, and you know the Holy Spirit and that forgiveness, and then you 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 keep that. And it's that moment-by-moment moment awareness of the Holy Spirit always being with you, of knowing that Jesus is with you always to the very end of the ages, he said. And so, if we walk in the Holy Spirit, if we let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, we won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. So now... What areas do you find yourself most tempted in? I've got less than two minutes. Let me just read this question. What areas do you find yourself most tempted in? What are some consequences of yielding to those temptations? What scriptures can help you? And so as we end, I don't really have enough time in this hour to, go, to answer this on a personal level. Uh, but just take those questions to heart and really think about them as we finish. We've got about one minute to go. Take some time to really ponder those and think about them. Um, I'll read that again. 50 seconds to go. What areas do you find yourself most tempted in? What are the consequences of yielding to those temptations? What scriptures can help you? So, we got 30 seconds to go as the thunder and lightning continues to flash and bang around here. Uh, pray with me, please, that the power stays on tonight. So that I'm not just wandering around in the dark here. Um, got about 10 seconds to go. Thank you very much for joining me. This has been the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. 
I look forward to being with you again soon. God bless and bye for now.